Good morning. Just a, a quick uh, check on what we do and why we do sermons. It, the, everything that I'll be doing up here, like any pastor should and would, is to increase your faith, to encourage you in your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and to strengthen you in your Christian life. So whether it's background to the text or an illustration or just sharing with you from this one place in the Bible, it's, it has to do with the reason... We hope that you came today, and that was to strengthen your belief, your faith life in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In 29 years of being a pastor, I can say pretty safely, anecdotally, that 99% of the reasons that people have left our church and, and our fellowship are not, it's not about the teachings of Christ, his person or his work, or the things that they heard taught here. 99%, you know what it's been? I made a list this morning. Uh, your worship is too dull. Your worship is too uh, much of a show, it's too charismatic. You're way too much into yourself. Uh, you're not involved with the people enough. I don't feel socially uh, on the level of the others that are at church because I move in, in a, a high net worth circles. I don't feel socially in the same level as the people at church because I'm in the working class. You're, you don't have any parking for us. We have to park in the grass. Uh, th that member gave me the creeps. I'm not coming back. Uh, I don't like the way my child was treated at school. And then a whole host of people that got caught in a sin, and we tried to talk to them about it, and they said, I'm not coming back because you're talking to me too directly about these things. Or at least that's the way they, they shared their feelings with us. Not one of those is about, I have found that the teachings you have about Jesus Christ are offensive or wrong, and that's why I'm leaving. I'd say 95% of the reason people join the church, or at least start coming, has to do with many of the surface things as well. Now, I'm talking about people, I'm one of them, so even you and me would that are here and we haven't left, we may have a, a feeling on a certain day of whether or not church went well or not based on any number of those things, right? Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, my mother, one time, we were talking about trying to see something on the horizon, and she said, Donald, if you'll just take your hand and make a circle. She said, it, you're, it's a maze, but what is in the circle, like right now I see Kim Reynosek, and that's all I see in the circle of my hand. She said, if you'll do that, you'll actually, your eyes will actually focus better. And she's right. So I want you to either use your hand, or I want you to grab your folder, and I want you to do what I did when I took this picture that's on the screen, and I want you to look at that cross in the stained glass. And uh, I want you to take it, look up, look up at that cross, and then take it away, and then put it back, and take it away, and watch how that works. It kind of clears up a little bit, 
Okay, so if it cleared up a little bit when you did that, raise your hand. Okay, good. So my mama wasn't crazy. <laughs> what, I, what I just showed you with your eye and your hand, the writer to the Hebrews is wanting to do for your heart. Whether, whether you're in the 1% that he's dealing with, because in the New Testament, the writers are usually dealing with that 1% that if they're leaving the faith, they are leaving the faith of Jesus under knowledgeable descent. They're descending away from what they believe. When the writers like this one, the writers to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, it's going to be on the screen. It's printed in the folder. It's from a book of the Bible. These readings we have on Sundays are, are often part of, and the, this one is, a, a year's worth of readings. And, and so it's called the, the cutout, the pericope for today from the epistles. And it's my assignment to teach it to you as a pastor. This reading is from a man. We don't even know who the, the human author was of Hebrews in the New Testament. This man wrote this letter you can see it all in the letter, so it's not hard to see his points. He wrote the letter to get people back to their church fellowship that had left or were in danger of soon leaving. They'd gather in small groups. They didn't have church buildings. They would gather around the apostles' teachings, which they said were Jesus' teachings. And when they gathered around the apostles' teachings, their family would go, Are you meeting with that cult again? Why are you getting uh, away from our Judaism? Why, you, if you leave Judaism, you're leaving the sacrifices, and that's your only hope of salvation. It was all about the teachings. It wasn't about the music of the parking lot or the socioeconomic status of anybody. It was about the teachings. But it was still dangerous, right? It was a distraction from everything they'd been taught about Jesus Christ being their savior on the cross. And so what the writer does is he says, this, the whole reason I got into this focusing illustration is because of the words in the first verse. So let's look at verse one and two and you'll see where the writer says you need to focus on Jesus. He says, therefore, and I'll talk about the therefore depending on chapter two. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts. It's one word in the original. It's, it means to think down hard on something. Concentrate. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now, this is the first time in his letter, kind of early in the letter, chapter 3, as we count chapters, that he's mentioned, the first time he's mentioned Moses at all. He hasn't mentioned Moses yet. So this is a very coy, led by the Holy Spirit, coy way of introducing Moses. But he's got to introduce Moses because the Jewish families that were distracting the Christians away from Christ were saying you follow Jesus, you're leaving Moses. 
Now, what do they mean by that? Just let's get a grip. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. Moses lived 1,500 years before them. So sometimes when we look at the Bible looking back, we think they all like hung out together. Or maybe they were one generation apart. No, Moses was 1,500 years before them. They're talking, the, the, the families were talking about the book called the Old Testament. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and of the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament. Those five books are the concrete slab on which the entire Bible is built. They tell the story of creation in human, humanity was perfect, the fall into sin, and the promise of a savior. They tell about the roots of the Israeli family, the children of Israel, right? Israel being found there in Genesis, the first of the five books. They tell about the exodus and the giving of the Jewish religion before they exited Egypt. Even though all those thousands of years there were people who believed in God, they didn't have a defined religion. Suddenly out of heaven comes the defined Jewish religion, the giving of the law. The, the Jews of Jesus' day and the Jews today, same, same thing, when they look back, they go, we are God's special people. The fancy Bible word is chosen. We were chosen to get the commandments and the ceremonial laws and the sacrifices. And we got them all through one man. Moses, who met with God face to face. For, for a Jew in any day to let a person other than Moses be the biggest personality on the planet ever is an act of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. For a Jew of any age to ever believe in their heart that a person who's ever lived on this planet is bigger than Moses, more important. It's an act of God by the Holy Spirit that they did that, that they transferred that. These families, when they heard these, their family members talk about this Jesus who just lived a few years earlier, being the one who said, you don't have to keep all the ceremonial laws that Moses gave us, or the sacrifices that Moses gave us, or the covenant that Moses gave us is obsolete, which is said later in this letter. That was like me walking up to you and saying, Jesus is a reprobate. That's what it felt like. If I started uh, saying all these expletives about Jesus and talking him down and trying to rearrange what you think about Jesus, you'd come unglued inside. And you should. That's the way they felt when their Christian family members were saying Jesus supplanted Moses. So very delicately, the writer says, you're being distracted from looking only at Jesus by this religion that you grew up in about Moses and what he's done for us. And he says, Jesus was faithful just like Moses was. In other words, what he's saying is, is we're not saying bad things about Moses. I don't know if you, you know, if you don't know your Bible, you don't catch all of this. That's why pastors are here for you. In the book of Acts, Stephen is trying to preach Christ to Jews right outside the, the walls of Jerusalem. 
Now, what's in Jerusalem is the temple, right? Well, when they, when they, when they drug Stephen out to stone him, they said, he speaks against Moses and the temple. They even made that accusation about Jesus Christ, too. So the writer says, Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. I, he, the writer is saying, I'm saying Moses was faithful. Everything Moses gave us was good. But it got its fulfillment in this appointed one named Jesus Christ who came later, who came in our, in our time. Focus on Jesus being faithful just like Moses. Now, when he mentions Jesus being faithful like Moses, he calls him two things, apostle and high priest. This is the only place in the Bible that the word apostle is an adjective used for Jesus. Whenever you hear the word apostle, you think of a capital A, like a title, like a pastor, right? Teacher. So apostle, what does it mean? Well, if it's a capital A, it means one of the 12 apostles that were sent by Jesus to witness to the resurrection of Christ, to tell the gospel, and be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Bible, the New Testament. That's what it means in the Bible. But Jesus isn't any of those. He is the message. He is the Savior of the world. So when the writer uses this word apostle as an adjective, he's meaning something a little more. And what he's doing is he's connecting Jesus to Moses. Remember, it's in a, in a little paragraph about they're both faithful. Moses was sent. The word apostle is built on a, a word that means to send. Apostello means the sent one. Okay, So the verb is to send. Moses, remember he was at the burning bush, 80 years old, life was almost over. God sent him back. To get Israel and then when he got them all out God sent all of them out to Sinai and sent Moses up the mountain and sent him back down with the the, the, all the religion the divine religion Ten Commandments all the promises the covenants the sacrifices all that sent him down they looked at Moses and would say he's the sent one and so when he says Jesus is our apostle he's saying he's the one sent from heaven to teach us. One of the ways, and I know I'm dumping a truck on you, but remember how I started today? I said, all this is to strengthen your faith. <laughs> one, of, one of the ways Jesus proved he was sent like Moses was how he handled Moses' law in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you have a red letter edition Bible, Jesus' words in red, all red. Long sermon. Matthew what? Five, six, and seven. One of the ways that Jesus preached that sermon was like this. You have heard that it was said in the law of Moses, but I tell you, and everything he said was a more demanding way of keeping that law than they had fallen into. For instance, you have heard it was said in the law of Moses, do not murder, he said in chapter five. And, and, uh, he says, but I say to you, if you call somebody empty head, you are sinning the sin of murder because you're assassinating their character. Right? Preaching the law. 
So Jesus, Jesus said in that same sermon, do not think one dot of the I or cross of the T will leave the law until everything's been fulfilled. I do not come to erase the law of Moses. I come to fulfill it. <gasps> fulfill it, yeah. Because in the person of Christ, he kept the whole law for all of us because we couldn't. And he preached the law in the Sermon on the Mount so well, you cannot read the Sermon on the Mount sermon without saying, I am a sinner because I, I've called somebody stupid. I've called them empty head. I've called them a fool or I've got my own names for it, right? In many other ways, that when you read the, that, that sermon, you, you go, I can't fulfill this. Well, Jesus says in the sermon, I came to fulfill it. And then he says in all of his teachings, I came to fulfill the law to be your savior and to die for your sins so you'd be forgiven. That's teaching. That's what he was sent to do. And that's why you come to church and not a synagogue. That's why you worship on Sunday and not Saturday. You believe in Jesus, your savior, which is the second thing the writer says, he's our high priest. Now, the letter to the Hebrews is a letter. You know, if, you, if I brought a whole pie in here, most of you are health conscious enough, you'd say, you're not going to serve me that whole pie. But I, I'm trying to get you to understand these passages with all of their depth, kind of by serving you the whole pie. <laughs> but this is actually, this little reading is actually just a slice of a slice. You know how somebody brings you a slice of pie and you say, nah, cut it in half. Right, because you're trying to be good. This is a slice of a slice. Later in the book, this book, which I'd love for you to get so excited about, you go home and read the whole thing. He talks all about Jesus being the high priest. I've had a sermon on the sacrifices of Jesus in Hebrews 9 or 10 a few weeks ago when Pastor had us do the uh, Lord's Supper. Right? He talks all about Jesus being the high priest. But the difference between Jesus, here he says he's the high priest, is that Jesus is not the high priest that takes a lamb or a goat and kills it or a bull calf for you. The high priest Jesus took himself and killed himself for you so that there no longer needs to be a high priest. <gasps> for a Jewish family to hear that, to make their face white with horror that you said it. There's no longer need for a high priest. There's no longer need for a sacrifice. By the way, there... The Jewish faith today says you need to have sacrifices, but they really don't because they don't have their temple. Right? Jesus says you don't need the temple. It's all going to be destroyed, and it was. Right? You got me. Right? So now we're moving. The writer's doing this very creatively. We're moving from Moses and Jesus were both faithful to, but Jesus is bigger. But he does it very delicately. Watch how he does this. We're, we're moving to the next slide in verses 3 through 6. Okay? So he says, Moses was faithful, Jesus was faithful. Verse 3, Jesus has been found. Notice, notice the way that he says that. Jesus has been found. I went, he's bigger. Because I'm in 2021 of Jesus' life, right? Uh, but... Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. So delicately, he says that. The blood's starting, the heart rate's going up in a Jew's heart. Blood's starting to kind of boil. 
just as the builder of a house has, has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. I'm, I got a confession. I have always struggled with this paragraph of the Bible because the, there's a shift in logic two or three times in the paragraph. This is one of those paragraphs that people that don't know the Bible very well, but they're trying to find out if we really have God or not. If they just open up to this paragraph, they're just kind of like, you know, you went from Moses to being servant in the house to God's the builder of a house and Jesus is the owner of the house, but he's, he's like le same level as Moses because they're both honor, but he's got more honor and, you know, you're just like, what is going on? And I, I, I have found peace about it, and I'm just going to say it to you, and then you can go back and read the paragraph with this in mind. Without saying it, to pass an English composition class or a vicar's sermon class, what he's saying is, Jesus is greater than Moses because he owns the house, and he built the house. Jesus came and served on planet Earth. Moses, Moses complained a lot, but he was faithful. I mean, that guy, he stepped up. And he stayed with those grouchy, whiny people that he'd saved their lives for 40 years in the wilderness. And he complained to God. You can read it all in the book of Numbers, his five books. And then Moses went all the way to 120, right? So mad at them, one day strikes a rock instead of speaking to it. Gets told he's not going to go to the promised land. Consolation prize, he gets to go to heaven. But... He's faithful, right? Everybody knew his story. Jesus, perfectly faithful, all the way to the point of death, marches into Jerusalem, knows they're going to kill him, does it anyway, endures Judas, even knew Judas was going to do what he did, Peter, everybody, does it all, doesn't, doesn't shrink back at all, 100% saves our souls. But he owns the house. Moses didn't own the house. Jesus is teacher like Moses. He's the high priest that replaces the high priest Moses gave us in Aaron, his, Moses' brother. But he owns the house. This is Trinitarian. This is God. God is the maker of everything, and Jesus is the maker of everything. This is the same as John 1, the, chap, uh, the Gospel of John. Jesus was the Word, was with God, was God, and made everything. Colossians chapter 1, all things were made by him, Jesus. Hebrews 1, I didn't read Hebrews 1. Different slice of the pie. In Jesus' words, everything in the universe holds together. In these last days, God has spoken through his son, Hebrews chapter 1. He's our apostle. See how this holds together? So the writer is saying, there's only one God, there's only one Savior, and there's only one way. To God and to heaven. Remember back in the 70s, though some of you weren't alive then, but <laughs> that, that finger, yellow finger, and a hand like this, and it said one way, that, that appeared on bumper stickers, and we didn't have computers really, but <laughs> one way. There's only one way. There's only one God. There's only, it's Jesus. 
Remember when he was in the boat and he calmed the storms and they go, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Remember it says in the Gospels, he knew their thoughts. John 10, the Father and Jesus are one. This guy is God. Now, you may be saying, look, preacher, we know that. We're Christians. I want you to remember, and you do remember, that this statement I'm making is increasingly less popular outside the doors of churches in America than it's ever been. It's increasingly less popular. Now, you sit here dutifully and listen to God's word, and you do have a devotional life, but many of you sit dutifully and have a devotional life with Netflix or Hallmark, too. I'm a preacher, and I do. And you know what? The religion of God is everywhere, and there are many ways to God, and, and don't, don't just be nice, and don't say there's only one exclusive way. That's part of any theological moment in any drama you see on Netflix or on Hallmark. If they're going to dare to even talk about divine, it's going to be this wide open, everything goes, everyone's right, and don't tell anybody they're wrong. Why did the writer to the Hebrews feel like he had to contend at all? If what we read and, and hear in our, the movies we watch and the songs we hear is true. Right? So, uh, it was, it's been probably 15 years ago, but Mary and I went to dinner with a, a very uh, nice and wealthy couple here in Austin. And at dinner that night, you know, they're, fine, they're, they're not active at church, but they did grow up going to church. And they're, in their, they're 10 years older than us at the time. They were in their late 60s. And she said, after we got pretty far in the, the, the dinner, you know, I'm a pastor, and what do we do for work and all that? She said, do you really believe that, the teaching, that Jesus and the teachings of Christ are the only way with all the good people in the world, with all the good that's done and all the people that grow up in other religions and they believe theirs is right just as much as you do, do you really believe? And the more she said that before I got a chance to answer the less and less I was supposed to feel like I had a shred of intelligence if I said yes. I felt that pressure. The more she asked before I got the answer out, the more stupid I would look if I just said yes. Well, what did the author say here? He owns the house. He made the universe. He was sent by God to die for all of humanity. What did Peter say in Acts 4 when he was witnessing to the Sanhedrin, the Jews? Peter was a Jew. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I want to strengthen you. The writer to the Hebrews wants to strengthen you. The answer was yes. I said, yes, ma'am, I do, because I don't know another way that people can get grace, total forgiveness for their sins. I, I know of no other way. How God works that out in everybody's individual life, that's God. But what it does to me is that's the reason I became a pastor, 
That's the reason someone becomes a missionary. It makes me try to be his voice to tell everyone that Jesus is there for them too because he died for the whole world. Remember how we started? Can you do it with me again? Grab your folder or your hand. Look back up at the cross. And while you're looking at the cross, I just want you to listen to me again, okay? Just keep looking at it. I'm going to face you because I want to talk to you, but keep, keep looking at that cross. There's a neat little story in the book, uh, in the Luke's Gospel. It's only about three or four verses long. It's about a, a, both of them are Christians, Mary and Martha, chapter 10 of Luke. Jesus is at their house. They had Jesus Christ in their house. Martha got distracted by many things, remember? Very upset. Jesus, the man of peace that brings salvation. Keep looking at that cross, okay? He brings the salvation, saving message to Martha and Mary with his disciples sitting around him. And he's talking about dying and rising again. And he's talking about forgiveness and God's love and all the prophets and how they foretold about him. Keep looking at that cross. And he's sharing all of this. And Martha can hear it. It's in the other room. But she's trying to get everything ready. And she's within earshot of the gospel. But she's not a woman of peace. She's not, she's not doing what you're doing. She's not focusing on Jesus. She's focusing on everything in the room, trying to get everything ready for him and to keep looking at that cross. She's thinking about all those other things. And so she comes to Jesus and she sees her sister. And you know what her sister's doing? She's looking at the cross, Jesus only. And everything in the room is out. She can't hear Martha. She can't hear, see the disciples. She doesn't see the dog that jumped up on somebody's lap, even though she's the host. Keep looking at that cross. She is at peace. The world could be coming apart around Mary, but she's at peace because she's looking at Jesus. And Martha says, make Mary help me. And Jesus says what? She has chosen the good part and what she's chosen will not be taken away from her. You know what's the greatest thing you can do at church? What you're doing right now. Look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. And choose the better part. You'll never leave that church. As long as you're there for the right reason. And we're here presenting the right reason. You're doing the greatest thing you can do right now at church. You're staring at Jesus and you're leaving everything else out. You don't care what everybody else is wearing. You don't care what the songs are like. You don't care about all that. You're just looking at Jesus. All right, you can take your hands down now. Thank you. See, it's either going to be a direct hit like that lady gave me at dinner or something you see at college or on the video on, on uh, Netflix, or it's going to be these distractions in the room. But that devil, he's always going to be trying to get you not to focus on Jesus. And he wants to steal your faith and your peace and your hope. Now look at the last verse, if you'll put that up there on the screen, Adam. And we are Jesus' house, if indeed we what? Read those two words. Hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. That is what you got to do. You got to hold firmly. You know, when a, when a father takes a little child across a parking lot with a lot of cars, a little three or four or five year old, right? 
that father will grab their hand. I don't, you know, sometimes I used to squeeze my boys so hard. I'll do this with my grandsons too. And a granddaughter coming. She's not walking yet. I'll grab their wrist. Right? I don't even give them a chance to grab me back. But what is ideal and is a picture of faith is that we're actually holding hands. And that if I can feel the child's grip on my hand tighter than my grip on them, I can lighten up. I want you to have a white-knuckle grip on Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone tell you he's not the owner of the house who saved our souls. Ever. Amen.